Lewis, what is Jerry Moore doing with the skull stick ship? He's hardcore, man. Oh. <laughs> That's the only one of those three things that you can get. You can buy one of those any day you want. Yeah. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. How you doing? It's Midsummer Maniac. It's been a crazy week, that's for sure, Midsummer Maniacs. Just when you think it can't get crazier, it gets a little bit crazier. The bingo card for 2020 is full of craziness. <laughs> but this is a different kind of crazy. This is Midsummer Crazy. This is Midsummer Maniacs, a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into the episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. And if your kids are too afraid to go to the house and knock on the door, this podcast is probably too much for them. But nobody's going to watch them go knock on the door, so they could say they did it and not really do it. Yeah, and then you can disappear for the rest of the episode because you're non-entity anyway. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. Why are you wearing your brother's little bike anyway? We'll get into that. Anyway, anyway. you got some stuff at the top. Yes. First thing, how far do you think we're through, we're through the show? Well, I know we're not halfway. No. We're, not. we're starting. This is season nine, episode one, The House in the Woods. Yeah. I know that there are more than 18 seasons by far. So Yeah. We are 35% of the way through the episodes. So this over is, a third. This is episode forty-four for us, season nine, episode one, House in the Woods. The first Jones episode. Jonesy, Jonesy, Jonesy. A couple of social media comments. First of all, from last week's episode, we said that Scott would know nothing about Vera Lynn. And people said that uh Vera Lynn was a lot more popular in England than we realized, and that Scott would have seen the Great Escape constantly on television. So, oh, okay, does make sense. But Stephen Ward on Twitter had umbrage with us. Yeah, because it's Z cars, yeah, not Z cars. And you see, I'm an American. Yeah. I get an excuse. We say Z, but you are Canadian. You should have known better. He says that he got eye twitches every time that we said it. <laughs> Oh, when we first met, you were very much a Zed person. Oh, I still am. Zed's the proper way to say it. But, uh, you know, I've been I've been turned by these colonists. I broke. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. Absolutely. Good catch. Yep. You were wrong. Zed, Zed, Zed. Yep. A couple of other comments on Instagram at different points. Gift for Burning left a very great comment about when we talked about badgers drifting. Mm-hmm. He said... Uh, when you went off about badgers drifting, my mind immediately went to set to a set of badgers all in inner tubes floating down the river in the sun, holding pina coladas with little tropical umbrellas. In their <laughs> we went for like race car driving drifting, but I, I kind of like that one better. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I like <laughs> I like that. badgers with pina coladas. Badgers drifting. Jilly Bean mentioned Vera Lynn and Great Escape also. 
and then Melonie had a comment on our old episode, the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm watching for the second time or third time. And Jennifer is really a piece of work. And Howard is such a delight. I'm looking forward to listening to this episode again. Well, I'm glad that we agree with her. She might enjoy the podcast since she also dislikes Jennifer. <laughs> She's so horrible. <laughs> And so in in preparation for this episode, Midsummer Locations also messaged us and said, I'd love if you guys could try to make sense of the motive in House of the Woods. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about that for sure. Uh, if the objective is to sell the house as soon as possible, why is he killing? Why are they killing prospective buyers? Also, they would like to know what our top five episodes would be in the ultimate poll. So this is the Midsummer Global Top 50. And well, for next week, we should we should prepare our top five. Yes, because they're at 12. 11 will be released today later on. So that means they will be into the top five by the time we record again. Yeah. So we'll release our top five when they release theirs. We'll do our top fives together. See if we agree. Yep. Their latest episodes are 16, Death of a Hollow Man, season one, episode episode three. 15, Judgment Day, season three, episode three. Legolas gets stuck. The pitchfork. Yep. Dead Letters, season nine, episode two. Our next episode, which is full on bonkers. We, I don't even, like... If you've forgotten how bonkers that episode is, it's even more bonkers than you remember. (laughs) The Green Man, season seven, episode one, which is Superman and uh, the old guy in the forest with the pretend fox. And then Written in Blood, season one, episode two. It's it's interesting that Written in Blood and Judgment Day went so low. I would have thought they would have been higher in the countdown, like... In top 10, at least. We shall see. Yeah. I think what we'll see in the top 10 is whether or not the people who um, voted on their episodes are new Midsummer watchers or, you know, older, not older Midsummer, not chronological age, but like, have they been there since the original Barnaby or did they start watching with the new Barnaby? What I did notice is 16 to 12 are all original Barnaby episodes, and they're either Troy or Jones episodes. There There's are, no Scott There are episodes. no Scott episodes yet? Well, there list. have been. Yeah. There have been in the list. But, but not yet. Not in not, the top, not top 15. Top 15, yeah. no. Interesting. So. Oh, Scott. We'll miss you. I'm sick. So just give my job away. <laughs> I tell you, you know, there have been times when I'm like, you know, I want to go on vacation, but there's all this stuff going on at work and I kind of feel bad if I go on vacation, but I've never felt like if I took a day off, they would give my job away. Like immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I think there might be some HR rules about that, about not just giving people's jobs away because you're sick. (laughs) For a day. (laughs) And like... Uh, Barnaby immediately assumes that he's going to be away for a long time. He just called in sick. Like, so he's dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> you call in sick. You're dead to me now. Ah, uh, well, it's clear that at the end of season eight, they didn't know that Scott wasn't going to come back. So yeah. now in the weirdness that is the broadcast schedule for this show, mm-hmm. 
This was shown the week after that episode. Oh. And then four months later, they show other episodes. That's strange. It's so weird when this show is broadcast. It must have seemed weird for the people watching it for the first time. I think that would have prevented me from feeling warm about Jones because it would have felt like he was sort of temporary. Yeah. He was like in a one, almost like a one-off episode. And then they start showing episodes again and he's still there and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, until Barnaby is either complicit or hornswoggled at the end and <laughs> makes Jones uh, just offhandedly gives Jones a promotion. Yeah. You didn't see that. Want a promotion? <laughs> no, I didn't just put, you know, people at risk, including my wife, but uh, I didn't know I was going to put my wife at risk. But oh, Joyce. Look the other way, promotion. Yep. <laughs> so, what this story is about is about a house, Winyard. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Winyard is a house that was nice. It was owned by a couple who brought people in, these kids in, during the Blitz. If you don't know, During the Second World War, London was bombed pretty badly. And one of the things that people did was they sent their children not only to relatives in the countryside where where there were less bombs, but also to strangers in the countryside. Yeah, there was a whole program. They would load trains full of kids with like name tags on basically. And people who owned farms and other homes in the countryside would volunteer to take them in until it was safe to go back to London. And this changed the social dynamic of families forever, forever in England. Well, World War II changed social dynamics in yeah. England, period. Because some kids didn't go back. Some kids were never heard from again. Some kids, some parents didn't want their kids to come back. There's a whole. And there were kids of, who were orphaned. Yeah. And so they stayed with the families they were with because they didn't have any place to go back. Because their parents were killed in the Blitz. Right. Yeah. So the Magwood brothers, Charlie and Jack, who are kind of the center of the whole story. Wait a minute. I have a brother. Were evacuated from from London during the war. And that's when they lived in this house as kids. Yes. We are introduced to Charlie, but not to Jack very later on. Right. Because Jack's been in prison because he killed a man, maybe. He killed a cop during a robbery. Mixed up in this are two other people, which are the estate agent, who is a horrible woman. Harriet Davis. And she's so horrible, she doesn't even know of a website, even though, and doesn't know how to make email work <laughs> on her sheets. And she doesn't give her assistant a name. Mr. He's Complicit. Mr. That's all he Mr. is. Mr. Complicit. Yeah. And plus, she has Romulan hair, so. And Jerry Moore, who we're pretty sure he's married. And he's screwing around with Anne and Harriet. You know, he's a builder. Builders get a bad rap in midsummer, period. They're always late. They never do anything right. They're, so, they're always on the make. Yeah. Yep. He, he is a stereotypical bad builder. And I don't, I, I'm not saying that all builders are like that, but it's a trope. And that's what he is. Yep. And also, Anne has two children who are somewhat involved in this, but sort of tangentially. Yeah. Other people who are interested in the house are the weirdo weirdos, which are the fluxes, mm-hmm. which you spend the whole episode going, do I like the fluxes or do I not like the fluxes? Because at first they're picking up trash on a Friday night in the town. Yes. That's wonderful. Like those people should be celebrated. And a bunch of yobs who all have names 
No, because there are girls in there, remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> they're they're a teenage bicycle gang. Who who say the nastiest things? They're they? horrible. They're just oh. So the the fluxes fall into another trope that is the preserve our countryside trope in midsummer, right? Yep. They are the traditionalists, the historians. They they want to preserve the history of these places. And, and they so ha- they do it by by reliving that. And they have that. <laughs> they have that, but they also have the weird we're writing ghost stories too. Yeah. And we have a human heart. <laughs> we'll get there. And then you've got Grace Woodhall, who is the, uh, she lives next door to the house that Jerry Moore, the builder, is currently renovating. And she's also one of those kind of conserve the countryside, but not as extreme, right? She just doesn't like satellite dishes. She seems like a busybody at first, but isn't. But isn't. No. And then you've got the whole Giles Cato museum deal that, because Joyce has to have something to be up to, right? Yes. Um, Which is the whole buried lead of this episode. Because Joyce is going around Midsummer County finding old buildings mm-hmm. to save and preserve. Yeah. that's. The, I remember when they came to our farm to do the same thing, right? But she lets it slip that there is a fallout shelter near Badger's Drift. Yeah. Why has that never been mentioned before? Where is my fallout shelter in Badger's Drift episode? Because how many bodies are in that fallout shelter? And she knows where it is. And we all know Joyce is the killer. So <laughs> how many people are in that fallout shelter? In the episode, she should have said, there's even a fallout shelter in Badger's Drift. Oh, and like, I shouldn't have said that. That is a perfect cold <laughs> opening for an episode where, they, where they're like, let's do a tour of a fallout shelter or kids who are doing abandoned places. And they're like, oh, we're going to go to the fallout shelter. Or learning about World War II. Or worlding, we're learning about, no, it's a nuclear fallout shelter. Oh, that's right. So, so, it's, so it's later like, than that. Later yeah. than that. It's Cold War. Yeah. And. And they open it up and there's a body in there. Like, that is the perfect episode beginning. (laughs) Where is that episode? We'll give you that one for free, writers. Go ahead. You can have it. Yeah. Do it. So everybody thinks the house is haunted. Well, everybody being Philip, Danny, all the stupid kids at school. I'm sorry. They're stupid. (laughs) And the fluxes. Also, at one really quick point, that school, the teacher is horrible. We've, we've she's a bully she's and apparently has no class plan because she's like who knows the story <laughs> i wish i could teach like, like don't that. you have some stuff to cover today <laughs> well part of what they need to cover is how to draw animals because there's a picture of a rhinoceros that easily took me three minutes to figure out it was a rhinoceros <laughs> and the camera pans from it there the, the thing that Midsummer proves over and over again is that children do horrible art, whether it be green demon hellish scapes <laughs> or badly drawn rhinoceroses. That's how kids draw. Yeah. You know, it's that's just what they do. Like, wow. And you know the house is scary because every time we look at the house, there's a theremin noise. You know, it's not a theremin. It's a cross between a kettle whistle yeah. And what they call screaming mice. 
Yeah. Well, and and that noise also when, okay, in a weird kind of offshoot, Cato takes his camera to take pictures of the house. Mm-hmm. First of all, his camera is for crap. Yes. The pictures are horrible. And second of all, it's the screaming camera because <laughs> every time you take a picture, it screams. Yeah, it's it's rather loud. <laughs> and and well, Cato just isn't much of a character. I, the last thing I'll say about him, and then we'll just go away from him forever because he's kind of useless, is that he's played by Michael Elwin. And Michael Elwin in in our our we should call this segment has Mark seen this bad movie? Has Mark seen this bad movie? Uh, Michael Elwin was in a movie in 1975 called Our Dinosaur is Missing. Oh, no, I have not seen this movie, but want to desperately. Now. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a story about a spy in China, um, a British spy in China, who needs to get some microfilm or microfish out of the country. And so he puts it into a fossil of a dinosaur. Okay. That they then try to steal from China uh, as a way of getting the microfilm out. Yes. Peter Ustinov stars in this movie as a man from China. Oh. Complete with silk robe, a little black stuck on mustache box hat everything wow yeah like that whole like oh what was the name of the charlie chan yeah the whole charlie chan kind of horribly racist trope yeah and it gets worse because the dinosaur it looks like um uh i think it's a plesiosaur one of the long necked yeah herbivore dinosaurs rather than being parts that are wired together it's a complete skeleton full size that they put on the back of a truck and put a tarp over, except the neck and the head are way above the cab of the truck and extending out the front. Oh. And the tail is out the back. How was this movie ever greenlit? I, and, and that image of the dinosaur is in everything. But anyway, Giles Cato, played by Michael Elwin. Michael Elwin is in this movie. One of our dinosaurs are missing. Yes. <laughs> it is just, Wow. Wow. I mean, anyhow, I really like that the subtitles every time they go to the house either is mouse screaming or suspenseful beating. Yes. <laughs> suspenseful beating just sounds like a. I, we haven't even talked else. about the. <laughs> yep. We haven't even talked about the caves. The caves are the people who come to look at the house. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to go through the or- the episode one plot point at a time, but there is some order here. There is this central story that we we just need to go over real okay. quick, right? And okay. it all centers around this house, Winyard, yeah. right? That Charlie Magwood claims he owns because his brother signed it over to him. It was left to them by the people who took them in during the Blitz. Yes. Charlie now wants to sell the house. He's in Midsummer. He's actually in Coston. Harriet is in Coston. Yep. And he lists the house with Harriet Davis, and he wants a quick sale to cash in on the money. He wants the money. And that's all he wants, right? And meanwhile, Harriet and Jerry, the builder, are in cahoots because they know that these older houses are actually worth quite a bit of money, and there are people who want them. And that there's money to be made in refurbishing them and then put, putting them back on the market. So they've they've got a scheme to not sell the house to anybody, but to sell it to Jerry, who will then refurbish it, 
which he says he can do in six weeks along with adding an extension. Yeah. Um, he's, he's one bu- guy. He's too busy bonking people too. And he's only one guy. Yeah, he's he only one all guy. That. So just to recap, Charlie has the want to sell the house. Yes. Okay. Charlie wants we'll to sell the house. We'll come back to that later. Right? Meanwhile, Harriet's not doing anything to sell the house. She's not even showing it to anybody or putting a flyer in the window. Because she wants to lower the, Charlie to lower his price. Right. So she can sell it to Jerry. Jerry can fix it up. They can sell it and split the profit. Well, it's not like anybody knows that Jerry wants to sell the house, buy the house. Oh, wait a minute. He's, He's already su- submitted plans for it. Submitted planning permission for it. Didn't anybody notice that? He got an architect to write up to draw blueprints for this extension and everything, and yep. he's already submitted it to be approved. He doesn't even own the house. That's a dead giveaway right there. Yeah, think they are bad at doing this illegal thing. They are, and it is very illegal what they're doing. We're doing by the way. something illegal. Yeah, you know. Let's go through the the town council to get approval. Yeah, <laughs> for the illegal thing that we're doing. In the meantime, the caves, who are a couple that we've seen before. Yeah. So, what episode did we see them before? They were in the episode where the little girl. Killed her her babysitter. Oh yes, that's right. Judgment Day. Yes, they play they play her parents. That's right. So these two actors who are not married to one another, they are not a couple. They nope. have nothing to do with each other. Nope. Have appeared as a couple in two different Midsummer episodes and died very early on in each episode. They died in that episode. No, they didn't. That's no, right. they the, didn't. The time traveling Mrs. What's her name? Yeah. Bundy. Yes. Yeah. Their daughter's a killer, but they didn't die. That's right. The caves are looking for a house just like Winyard. They want a fixer upper. They haven't been able to find one. They Anne is mad at Jerry because Jerry, she thinks, is screwing around, which he is with Harriet. He leaves a folder at her house, giving away the information that he's actually wanting this house. And so she's wanting to get back at him. So she mentions Winyard to the caves. Right in front of Charlie. Right in front of Charlie. Like He's sitting within arm's reach. No, no. As we know from the television show Cheers, a conversation that you hear in a bar, no one else can hear. In the- but they're at the reception desk of the hotel. <laughs> okay. So right in front of Charlie, who wants to sell the house. Yep. They say, we're looking for a house that we can fix up. Something that's kind of run down and historical. And she says, well, there's this house Winyard. And I think Harriet Davis is handling it. And Charlie reads the Costin advertiser. Sitting right there, right? But then Harriet tells him, oh, nobody's interested in that house. Though I haven't even put up the flyers yet because the photos aren't back from the printers. Whatever. You should lower the price. Why doesn't he call her out? Why doesn't he say, I just heard this couple saying that they wanted a house just like that? I don't know. They're... The problems with Charlie and Jack are just beginning. So anyway, so the caves go check out the house. They get killed. Yes. So the way they are killed is because they don't have an interior light. In their car. Yes. That automatically comes on when you open the door. So. I think it's a Volvo. Or it might be a BMW. Let's go through this. The idea is that Charlie comes from town to the house. Mm -hmm. Snips a wire out of the piano mm-hmm. while they're in the house. So he had to do that before they got to the house. Right. Just in case somebody were to come along that he might want to kill. Yes. The caves go in the house. Mrs. Cave is like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So in because the- apparently they frittered away an entire day 
looking for it. In that time. Now it's dark. Yep. In that time, Charlie has snuck into the back of their car. Mm-hmm. Charlie's not a small man. No. But because the interior light doesn't come on, she doesn't notice it. So she gets in the car, puts on some soothing music, and is garroted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then Charlie goes, hmm, I've killed somebody. I'm going to wait for the other person to come. Right. So Mr. Cave. Meanwhile, he doesn't know they're not going to come out together. He doesn't know they're not going to come. He gets out. lucky yep. that she comes out first. Peter Cave then comes out because there's no interior light in his car. He doesn't see that his wife is dead. Or that somebody big is in the back seat. Yep. And he Charlie is, Magwood must be at least 6'1". And then he is killed. Yes. So Georgie says garroting's from Spain. It is. Okay. So what's up with garroting? Before I go into garroting, I have a question for you. When they park, when the caves park in front of the house, isn't there a scene where we can see their car and the house? No. I double checked. Okay. Because the whole time I'm thinking... Why is everybody parking so far away from this house? Because in my mind, they pulled up right in front of it. No, there's like a little difference, like a little lane that you have. A laneway that goes through the woods. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're garroted with the with the piano wire. Yes. Um, and I people say garrot different. That's how I say garrot. Okay. If you say it differently, that's fine. I know. I am acknowledging as in Z and Z, that there are other ways to pronounce it, but this is the way that I pronounce it. <laughs> garate. <laughs> it's a garat. Um, so yeah, I, and I didn't know a whole lot about this, but in my mind, a garat was only ever this. It was a wire that somebody held in their hands in a loop. They put it around your neck, they cross the ends over behind, and they pull... Sometimes I've seen it where the garage, the wire has little wooden pieces on the little handles little on the hand- ends. So they can be wood. Can they get can leverage. Brass. Yeah, yeah. Um, they give you leverage and they give you something to twist, right? Yeah. If you need to make it super tight, that's the only kind of garage that I had ever heard of. Yes, but then I went looking and realized that that's like an improvised garage. Oh, a formalized garage is this method of uh, execution. So the garat as a hand weapon starts with the thuggy cult in India. Oh, okay. But they used scarves. Okay. Like silk scarves. Oh, this is a nice scarf. So you could wear, you know, you could wear your murder weapon as an accessory. Oh. Until you decided, I need to kill that guy. I'm going to take my scarf off. Right. They're... And they may or may not have had a wire embedded in the scarf. Okay. We don't know for sure. Anyway, and that's where the word thug comes from, too. Yes, I did know that. So then the Spanish developed this method of execution based on the garrote that's like a, it's like a chair, more like a stool with a back. You put the person on the chair, their back is against the back of the chair, and there's a loop that goes around the back that goes around their neck. Yeah. And then somebody behind them twists a stick that the wires are attached to and that tightens it and basically strangles them. That that's not a fun way to die. Oh, it gets worse. In some ways, in some models of the garrote chair, there was a blade 
in the backrest that would have been right at your cervical vertebrae. So as it tightened, it would have pulled you against the blade and that would have severed your spinal cord. And that was the more humane form of the garrote. Oh, humane. Yeah. Okay. So there's this whole, let's just talk about hand garrots because wow, there are people online who have really strong uh, opinions about whether the wire is the garrote or only the device that the Spanish uses a garrote. We're just going to go with the hand wire thing garrote. <laughs> okay. okay. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. I hope nobody wants to fight with us about that. Anyway, so we got this whole like, oh, well, the the thuggy cult in India invented this. Meanwhile, in France, around the same time, before there were, you know, deli slicers, that's how you cut cheese. Yes. It's with a wire with two handles that you twist it around the piece of cheese. You pull them apart and that crosses the wire. It closes on it. Sculptors have used... Things that look just like garrots yeah. for forever to cut yep. fresh clay. I've got half a dozen of them. Any high school sculpt, you know, sculpting 101 kit comes with a garrot. Yep. And there's I'm no scared of sculpting class, right? There's here. no difference between them. Nope. And the device that you would use. I don't know how Charlie manages to do it with a wire with no handles on it. Yeah, he would have to wrap it around his hands, which would affect his hands. Well, and piano wire isn't good at uh, tight loops. No. Right? It's like guitar strings. It's, yes. It's very hard to kink it. It is. You know, twist it tightly. So piano wire, as far as I know, like thicker guitar strings, usually the first three, the lower three guitar strings is wound. So it is a piece of wire that has another piece of wire wrapped around it, which makes it very hard to kink. Yeah. That's why it's like that. Yeah. Right. So it can't kink. Yeah. But according to Melton's clandestine warfare. Okay. Book published back in the forties, the modern cutter garrote comes from cheese cutters. Oh, so there's controversy. So you could say, they were cutting the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't garroted. They were cut like cheese. That's a long way to go for a fifth grade joke. <laughs> I didn't cover all that just to make that joke. <laughs> anyway, I would, man, no. Oh, the garage chair is just, oh, it's, uh, who thought of that? It's going to a whole lot of trouble to kill somebody when you could just slit their throat, cut their head off, hang them, shoot them, whatever. No, let's make this contraption. Did you notice the Georgia, the old boys brigade again? Yeah. Like, what's up with that? It's like when uh, when doctors retire in midsummer, they become crime scene investigators. But then in the background, we see Jonesy. In his uniform. In his uniform. And you like him right away. Great. He leans in. He's a fantastic actor. Paying close attention. Yep. Making jokes. It's He's got an insight. It's a pithy Jones comment right away. He irritates Barnaby just a little, but not a lot. He's not Ponzi like no. Scott. Mm-mm. Oh, do you have a tie? <laughs> yes, He's, I'm wearing one. <laughs> wearing one. Did, now, do you think they let, um, they have Jones hair being a bit shaggy on purpose? I think so. Because in the next episode, I think he's got a haircut. Yeah, I think so. He's much more polished. Yeah. Right. And also works at the Feathers Hotel, which is problematic. And? 
Yes. Yes. Because the last time we heard of the Feathers Hotel was in Market for Murder. And it was a posh, fancy place with special towels. Robes. Yep. Yes. This is not a posh, fancy place. No. You think they would have come up with a new name for the end? As soon as I saw Anne's work shirt, I was like, does she work at the Feathers? That Feathers? The one out on the Coston Road that's no. so fancy? No, the crappy one in town. <laughs> It's in uh, Midsummer Newton. I guess. So Harriet Estates, I want to talk about their displays. Okay. So first of all, the shop that they go into for Harriet's, the outside of the shop is the inside of the shop, which is usually not the case when you do interiors and exteriors. Right. Okay. You usually use two locations. Is that what you're saying? You usually can't get the right... But it's a completely glass-fronted storefront, so it only makes sense that they use it for both. You think. And then they have, like, a brochure that's advertising them. Okay. Like, the brochure has their all their information on it while you're in the shop. Why would you take another brochure while you were in the shop? So that you had their contact information after you left? I guess. And the way they publicize listings is with flyers, information flyers, and big magazine racks. Yes. And I looked into this just a little bit because this was filmed right at the point when it was becoming possible and kind of common for real estate agents to list their homes for sale on their websites. Yes. I have stuff to talk about their website. And so the fact that they have a place full of flyers kind of makes them look a bit behind the times. Yeah. They would have had flyers available for every listing so they could give it to a, you know, a potential buyer, but they wouldn't have had 50 copies of every one of them in magazine racks sitting around. Well, on the sheet, I don't know if you noticed this. I read the whole sheet. They are... Computer linked with other team offices. Now, team is an actual thing in Britain for estate agents. And they're is it, is it like an association of realtors like or something? association. And it says on the flyer, are you, are you ready? Uh-huh. That they are advertising on four major internet sites. Wow. Four of them. <laughs> And yet they wait for photos to come back from the printer. Well, they also have the popular self-select displays. That's also listed on the flyer about them. Along with four websites. They're advertising that they have magazine racks? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Uh, The website, of course, is nothing. I didn't buy it. Thank God. And their website email address is wrong. It doesn't even have an at sign in it. Ah, well. So. They were thinking about you. Yep. We got to prevent Mark Bell in the future from sending us wackadoodle emails. Do you think it's strange? uh, If we go, I'm going back to the caves real quick, but do you think it's strange that they lay them out on tarps and don't cover them? And put one's head by one's feet and the other's feet by their head? Yes. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> like, cover those poor people. But they are fantastic dead bodies. They are. They, they do much better than Harriet. They just lay the there still. The caves take the cake. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, and, 
and her more than him, Carolyn, more than Peter, because she has to sit in the car like that for a while, too. With her uh, neck all. She's got her tongue out and everything. Eyes open, tongue yeah. out, mouth open. Uh, <laughs> Jones says that you can't buy a garden shed in midsummer for half a million. Yep. And he's absolutely right. Yes. I literally found <laughs> an outbuilding. Yep. Near Oxford. Yep. That is on one fifteenth of an acre. Okay. So that's what, like fifteen feet by fifteen feet. I don't know. Basically, it's very small. It's very small. With a shed on it listed yeah. as a historic outbuilding. Okay. Selling for five hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> Zoned only for uh, agricultural use. Maybe I need to get my real estate license. You couldn't even put one of those little homes on one of those things. No. I mean, it's a plot that small. It's basically um, an allotment with a shed on it. Over half a million pounds. I do want to say one thing about Harriet's acting here. Mm. She does a really good job of when she says the seller wants to remain anonymous to Barnaby. She's saying the words and she does such a great job of knowing that she's not going to be able to keep that. At that <laughs> like the acting is really good there because you know, immediately she's going to tell him. Well, and we've just seen her blow sunshine up uh, Charlie's ass, right? Yeah. So we know that she's capable yeah. <laughs> of hoodwinking somebody. Yeah. But and it does not work on Barnaby. Barnaby is <laughs> He's just, having none of it. Just like, what? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so at the Midsummer Mallow, that's where we are, right? No, we're in Newton. Midsummer Newton Primary School. They have uniforms, mm -hmm. polo shirts. The green polo shirts? With badges on them. I want one of those badges. It doesn't have a badger on it, though, does it? No, it doesn't. Oh, man. But... They're embroidered badgers. Badges. Badges. <laughs> and it's not a badger badge. <laughs> but they're just stuck on, like with pins. So somebody could send you one. Yes. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? I want one so bad. <laughs> and and you want um, the um, Ghosts of Oldie Midsummer. Yes. It's not a book. That book. It's a stapled together there, there pamphlet. Th there, they call it a book. There but. are three things I want from this episode that are props. I want one of those badges. Mm -hmm. I want the Oldie Midsummer Ghosty book. Uh -huh. And I want Jerry Moore's Skull Stick Chef. Because <laughs> <laughs> what is Jerry Moore doing with his Skull Stick Chef? He's hardcore, man. Oh. That's the only one of those three things that you can get. You can buy one of those any day you want. Yeah. <laughs> I had a chrome skull uh, stick shift in nice. my Jeep in grad nice. school. Very awesome. nice. So the fluxes are reenactors. I guess. I don't know what they're singing at Living first. historians. I guess. That's I don't know. being polite. Yeah. Why they put costumes on over their regular clothes just to sing at home, I don't really understand. Well, we do that, but that's besides the point. <laughs> no, we don't. Only for Star Trek. Yeah. So, so they're weird. And their last name is weird, too. Yes. So Flux comes from the Norse. Babs Flux. 
because <laughs> Barbara. Oh. oh, Babs, Babs and Leslie, isn't it? What's yes. his name? Leslie. Leslie. Babs and Leslie Flux. Um, Flux is. Uh, it comes from the Norse. It's for Floki. Okay. So like fluke and flukes and flux, they all come from Floki. Is which, that like? It's not Loki. Floki. Floki it's, it's is another dude. Outspoken and entrepreneurial. Okay. So if they were trying to do some, what is it called when you name somebody after what they are? The nominal determinism. Nominal determinism. They don't really pull it off with the no. fluxes because no. they're not entrepreneurial. Well, anyway. there's a couple of weird things about the fluxes. First of all, Jones notices the sign over their house. Yes. So it says, you are welcome. No, you are come well. You are come you are well. Welcome. welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. Yeah. And I actually found where that comes from. Where is that from? Just, I love Google Books so much. I can, I can go back in, in history here. Okay. So, the 1919 American Architect Magazine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> mentions this because there is a brick company in the UK that will put historic Kentish sayings on bricks. So this you, is a Kentish thing. That you can then use in your home. And according to this historical document, you can uh, write to them and they'll send you the book for free. Oh. So the actual saying that this is a version of is, this is the welcome I'm to tell. Ye are welcome. Ye are come well. So share what bounties fortune sends. All here that's mine is yours, my friend. Okay. So it's a derivation of that, okay. which is a Kentish welcome saying. It's weird. <laughs> but that's not so weird. No, it's not the weirdest thing in their house for sure. The smoked heart in the jar. Yeah, heart jerky. <laughs> it's gross. It's gross. And Jones touches it with his hands. Because, before he knows what it is. Yes. And I'm, I was proud of him. He didn't uh, drop it. Yes. When they told him what it was. What's this? Oh, it's a human heart. Ah! No, but he gave it back pretty too sweet after that. So they claim that this is a human heart with iron nails driven through it. Okay. And that it was in the chimney of Winyard acting as a curse on the house. If you're a policeman and you tell somebody, I have a human heart in my house and you don't know whose it is, the police are going to take that heart. Well, but it's clearly not recent. It still remains. <clears throat> no, I don't think they would have taken it. I would have. It's gross, but it's not illegal. I think it's illegal to have a body part in your house. A historical one? Yeah. Eh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm the kind of person who would have one. No. So I think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I would not have this thing. No. That, so the writers completely flip this on its head. They say, the Fluxes say that they removed the, the heart from the chimney of Winyard because it was a curse on the house and it was bringing bad luck to the house. So they yeah. removed it. But of course, when, some, when a new owner has it, they'll give it back. Right? Yeah. But they're saying that there's been all this misfortune at Winyard because of this heart, when in fact, the tradition is actually the opposite. Okay. So the tradition is to put an animal heart Okay. With iron pins through it in the chimney. It's in, 
It's a way to ward off evil. Oh, like it put a pig's heart in there. Um, bulls, pigs, sheep. Yeah, they're they're according to um, archaeology.co.uk. Yes, they're commonly found around the UK in chimneys from homes from the um, from the 17th century all the way to the 19th century. Okay. So if you thought a witch had put some curse on you, your home, or your livestock, mm-hmm. you would cut the heart out of that livestock when it died and impale it with three-headed iron nails. And iron is important because yeah. iron is a metal that magic people don't like, yeah. right? So if you want to ward off elves or fairies or whatever, you use iron. Um, so, so they would put iron iron nails through it and then they would hang it above the fire to either incinerate it or to kind of smoke it and preserve it. That's right. I remember reading about some of this when, because Jack the Ripper throws a heart into the hearth of one of his victims, Mm -hmm. the last victim. Mm -hmm. Well, and the idea here is that you're kind of like, you're going to damage the witch by damaging this heart. Okay. So there's a um, a poem from Devonshire and from the 1800. May each pen thus stuck in this poor heart in hers go, who hurts me so till she departs. Oh, so. So you'd say that while you put the pens in and then you would either incinerate it or smoke it or whatever. And that was supposed to put the kibosh on the witch. Yeah. But in this episode, they're like flipping that around saying that the heart is the curse. No. When it should have been protection from the curse. So by taking it away, they actually made it worse. I think they just wanted it because it was cool. The other way that you can do this. Yes. Is to put a living cat in the walls of your house when you build it. Oh. That wards off evil. That's kind of cruel. Uh, kind of. Yeah. It's very cruel. Yep. But until the 80s, according to the Weekly World News. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. Our sources. The Weekly World News in Hoggenshaw, England, some builders removed a cat mummy from the wall of a house, and then all kinds of bad things happened. Motorcycle accidents. One guy got cut. Um, one guy lost his paycheck. One guy wrecked his car. Then they put the cat back in the wall and everything was okay. Oh. See? Got to know. Weekly World News. Yeah. It's the newspaper. It is. It is the (laughs) Weekly World News. News. Yeah. Yeah. It says news in the title. Yeah. By the way, if you have free time on your hands and you want to be entertained, Google Books has the Weekly World News going back to issue one. Oh, man. Just looking at the front pages is fantastic entertainment. It's so fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Apparently, Reagan had really bad arthritis until somebody put a curse on him or something. I don't know. It was fun. There well, are I, lots of things in this Winyard house because apparently they just walked away from it. Yes. They, there's China on the, on the walls. Yeah. Was it the Barretts or the Garretts? Barretts. Barretts. They just left. I think they just died and they didn't have anybody to look after it. So they just got abandoned, right? But still somebody, like, why didn't they, Charlie, come and fix it up then? Because Charlie's a badden. Okay. We're going to talk about that. So but yeah, in, there's toys. There's so lots of toys. So there's toy cars. 
There's this thing that we've seen on Repair Shop, which are steam toys. Now, if you haven't watched Repair Shop on Netflix, do yourself a favor. I think we've mentioned it before. And watch it because it's lovely. It's lovely. And there's no other word to describe it. No. People bring in things that are broken and they fix them. That are important to them. And everybody's happy at the end. They are. And nobody competes. But we've seen several things on there that are miniature steam powered things like trains. And there's like a, a construction thing, Mabob, like a crane kind yeah. of thing that was steam powered. And so what Charlie's playing with, or is it Jack, um, is a model steam engine. Which it's not a toy. <laughs> No, they ran on paraffin. Yes. You lit a wad of cotton that was paraffin soaked and put it under this tank of water and it made the steam engine go. They were toys, but that's what dangerous toys were like back then. I know I'm an older person and lived through, you know, lawn darts. Mm -hmm. But wow, that is a dangerous toy. Yeah. That is a burn unit waiting to happen. Yeah. In addition. He's also got Joey the Clown. Joey the Clown, the game. It is not a good game. It is not a good game. <laughs> you get six clowns yep. that are cut into pieces. Yep. So you get six heads, six torsos, 12 legs, 12 arms. Each of them has a dice symbol yes. on it. You roll the dice and then you take the appropriate clown part and add it to your clown until you have a whole clown. Isn't that funny? The end. Wow, board games have improved. There's also a snakes and ladders board on that table. Yes, there are. And a gyro cycle top. Americans will know snakes and ladders as shoots and ladders. Yes. Because sliding down snakes is ew. <laughs> I'd rather go down a slide than a snake. There's a whole uh, Murdoch about shoots and ladders. Yes. Yeah. Yep. The gyro cycle top is interesting. Yes, it's a steel, practically unbreakable top that is includes a five foot mono railway track. But it also has a little dude on it, like he's riding it. Yeah, like like a little figure that's attached to the gyroscope, and he's kind of bent over. Yeah, he's got his butt kind of sticking up in the air. It's from British invention manufacturer. Ooh, and it's. Got science slash sport. I think they tried. <laughs> I think they tried to 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 broaden the market of science toys here. Yeah, I would like to see one of these things running. Oh, there's a video on YouTube. Oh, there is. We can post the link. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The track is basically a fence. Yeah, and it rides along the fence. So it's that a it, gyroscope. So it doesn't fall off the table or go under the couch or whatever. I didn't see the little guy on the gyroscope that was there though. There's pictures of it. I'll give them to you. There's also a xylophone and some cookies and a a piano. Yes. Which has one dead key because somebody has cut the wire. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) There's also a tuning fork. Mm. Now that tuning fork has 440 on it. So as a musician, I know that is a. Well, and it says a on it. Yeah. See, I didn't know anything about tuning forks. And when Barnaby swings it yep. and sets it up there, the camera really focuses on that 440A. So most people don't understand that tuning forks 
are meant to be set on things, right? You hit the tuning fork and then you set it on the table or you set it on the piano so that it resonates through that piece of wood. Mm-hmm. It makes the sound louder. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to hit the tuning fork and listen to and it. And then just hold it up yeah. in the air, no, no. right? So I didn't know why it said 440 on it. So of course I noted it. You already knew this, but yes. I didn't know this. So I fell down a rabbit hole. If I had known you were going to do this, I would have been like, baby, don't go there. I went there. It's, oh, did I go bad. there? It's bad. <laughs> so for those of you who, who are not musical, you may not know that 440 is a reference to 440 megahertz. Yes. Which is historically agreed upon as the middle A. The middle A wavelength. The um, Music Commission of the Italian government in 1885 established 440 as the A. Yep. In 1917, the American Federation of Musicians endorsed that, and it has been the quintessential A ever since. So that we all can play in tune, so that you can write a piece of music, and I can play that piece of music, and we can never, ever meet. You may be passed on. But my A on my keyboard sounds like your A when you wrote it. Right. Because you tune the A and then all other keys up and down are mathematical ratios of that A. Of that A. What you might not know is that this is controversial. Yeah. (laughs) That there are people out there and not a small number of people. No. Who disagree with 440 being A and think it should be 432. 432 is the big one. These people think that 440 is nefarious. Like it's evil. Not that it's evil, but that it was agreed upon for circumspect reasons. Everybody from the Rockefellers to the Nazis have been blamed for 440. Yep. Saying that it's a brainwashing tone. Yeah. And that it keeps humans subservient. And that if you went with 432, it would be better. Now, there, I think there are good arguments for 432. And I'm not going to go into them too deeply. But if you are familiar at all with the golden ratio. Yes. That 432 would actually be the megahertz for central for center A, middle A. Yeah. If you let music follow the golden ratio for that mathematical ratio of keys. And by the way, 432 if you, if you hear the difference between 440 and 432, first of all, you're a specialized human being yeah, who because, has perfect pitch. Because I listened to Coldplay tuned to 440 and to 432 and I couldn't find a difference. Yeah. If you don't have perfect pitch, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. But anyway... These folks say that if you used 432, all music would be better and it would be easier to write music and new musical instruments would make more sense and all kinds of good reasons. But anyway, that's why it's 440. La la la. Sorry. A is 440. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's Sarah's little, wow, I fell down this weirdness hole. These people have really strong opinions about this. The Fluxes have... A Dutch door. Did you notice their Dutch door? No. What's a Dutch door? A Dutch door is one that's split horizontally. Oh, they do. With the top and the yeah, bottom? they do. It's to keep animals out of the house. So you can have air in the house. Yes. It's like having a window open, but it's yeah. a door. They're I always also, thought they were cool. They're also weaving with willows. Yeah. So. And the, not doing it very well. No, he Babs says, is a tangle with her willow wands. He says you can't make a basket with a weak base, but she's already halfway up the side of whatever it is she's weaving. I don't know what he's talking about. So the book he has is called Willow Weaving. And 
And what I love about this book is it is by Tros Stoland and Yanni Rolofsson. Is it real? It's a real book. I'm going to guess they're Swedish. You would think. It's from Search Press. You can buy it on Amazon still. It's not very big, <laughs> but wow. It, it just says over, under, over, under, over and over again. <laughs> well, on, on the front, they have a very interesting little horse that they've made out of weaving. La-la. So, yep. Using your willow sticks to weave. In the meantime, Harriet is killed. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. She's killed at, at Winyard because she's been lured there. With the piano wire. Yes. And Jerry finds her and then disappears forever. Right. Calls the police from a phone box. Yeah. Goes home to his non-existent wife. All of this that we have been talking to up to now is just a way to avoid the big topic of this episode. There is a giant problem with this episode. And that is Charlie does not have acts against his interests multiple times in disastrous ways. So much though that we think maybe Barnaby got hoodwinked. Yes. So Jack has been in prison for killing a policeman at Hatton Garden and he took the rap for Charlie. Okay. okay. So Car- Charlie killed the policeman, but Jack went to prison and he hid the gun in the hearth. Now, Charlie is selling Winyard, which belongs to Jack. So Jack has escaped from prison to come to stop him. So the first thing that we have to understand is that Charlie is lying when he says that Jack gave him power of attorney. Right. They're identical twins. He signed the paper for his brother because he wants to sell the house to get the cash. Can we do a tiny little aside? Yeah. That new lawyer and his... Magwood file box. Yeah. yeah. And his, his... He's no Jocelyn. No. But do you think he's the new Jocelyn? Like they're setting him up to be the new Jocelyn. They may have been thinking because, that at the time, but we, yeah, don't, we don't see because him Because we don't see him again, but they certainly go into depth in him. And his assistant has a name, unlike Harriet's assistant. Yeah. He, we didn't need him. No. So Charlie does not know that Jack is out. Nope. Because he's in old guy prison now. So it's like an open prison. So he basically just walked away. Just walked away. Three months before the end of his sentence. Right. So obviously. Because he wanted to stop He has an inciting incident to leave. Yes. The house is being sold and he wants to stop it. He wants to keep it so that he and his girlfriend can live there. Grace. Yes. The love of his life. So the caves are killed. Yes. Because they wanted to buy the house. And Harriet is killed because she wanted to buy the house. Which is against the motive of Charlie. Because Charlie wants wants this house sold. But Jack says Charlie killed them. Yeah. And then Charlie gets arrested. And Jack is there to have tea with the Barnabys. And we think there are two possibilities. The first possibility is that Jack is actually the killer. Oh, I think Jack's the killer no matter what. Okay. I think the two possibilities are Jack and Charlie are in cahoots. Okay. And Charlie's taking the rap for Jack now because Jack took it for him. I don't think Charlie would do that. Or 
Jack pulled one over on Charlie and got Charlie framed for his crimes. I think he did that and totally hornswoggled the, the constabulary in Midsummer. Either way, Jack is the killer. Yeah. This is what happens when you get sent home to work at a fruit and veg stand. <laughs> that is not the most horrific thing in the world. <laughs> he could have gone to Oxford, Mark. No, he had to go work at a fruit and veg stand. But why doesn't Barnaby notice that the person who had motive is not the person being arrested? We are 100% convinced Jack is the killer. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense for makes, Charlie to kill them. And it makes sense that, okay, so remember the problem I had with the whole caves reenactment, mm -hmm. right? So if you put Ch Jack in the house, hiding in the house. Yes. Okay. He hears somebody drive up, cuts, cuts the piano, piano wire, wire sneaks out and kills those people because he can see in the back seat that they're looking for houses. Right. Even though there's no light. Yes. Well, and he hears them talking about the house. Exactly. So it's clear. It makes sense that Jack killed them. Yes. To stop them from buying the house. Yeah. Or even Jack killed them because he didn't want to go back to prison. Let me throw another loop in this. Yeah. Um, could there be scenes where we think they're talking to Charlie and they're actually talking to Jack? So because outfits don't help no. because willy nilly day, night, whatever. We don't even yep. know what day it is half the time yep. in midsummer. So yep. knowing that they're wearing different suit jackets does not help. We cannot 100% know for sure. Charlie is Charlie and Jack is Jack. There's only one scene where we know it's Charlie. And that's when Philip says, Jack, Jack. And he doesn't turn around. Yes. Because it's Charlie. Yes. And there's one scene where they're together. Yes. Because one of them tries to kill the other one. Right. And there's a split screen. It's done very well. It is done very well. Charlie tries to kill Jack. Because Barnaby actually thinks there's only one of them for a little while. Yeah. And they don't even comment that they're identical twins until so late in the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, I have a brother. Now, we have multiples. The lawyers tell us. The lawyer says that he has a brother, but doesn't mention that they're twins. No. And Charlie doesn't mention that they're twins. And they don't do a workup on Charlie or his brother. No. You'd think they would have, as soon as they heard from the lawyer that he had a brother. Yeah. They would have been like, okay, we need the history of these two guys Especially because right they knew, he said his brother was in jail. Yeah. Yeah, we need the whole history. Yeah. And that would have uncovered that they were identical twins. Yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, I, I have triplets. They're not identical. They don't look anything alike. There's many, many cases of identical twins pulling off crimes to confuse well, the police. And I the, know they don't, like our triplets don't immediately bring in every conversation with I'm a triplet, mm -hmm. but it comes up. Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought that when Charlie said, my brother's in prison, he would have said my twin brother's in prison. Yeah. I almost, I need to, I, I need to rewatch it again because I need to know whether there are any scenes where it's actually Jack they're talking to. Like when they run into Charlie away from the hotel, could it be Jack that they're seeing? It could be. Jack is out and about. He's the one who meets Philip at the fence at the school. That's Jack. Never mind the sec that the cops do this cool thing called communicating. 
So if somebody escapes from prison, they do these things uh, like alerts. Bolo? Uh, where they would say, we're looking for this person mm-hmm. who is this age. Oh, and by the way, he has a twin brother mm-hmm. and he has roots in Midsummer Newton and London. Well, and Barnaby does think that Charlie might be Jack. Yeah. Right. For a second, he yes, thinks he does. he's pretending to be his brother because nobody's seen him, whatever. But Jack is actually staying with Grace. Yeah, which I'm like, why does he keep going to the house then? Because he loves the house. It's the place of his happiness. I guess. It's where he was happy. Oh, I burned myself on this steam toy. (laughs) I'm so happy. Either way, whether Jack and Charlie are in on it together, or whether Jack pulls one over on Charlie, or swaps with him somehow, Barnaby gets the wrong guy and should know that he has the wrong guy. Well, and okay. he should know that Charlie doesn't have a motive. And it part of the underlying bit of the entire show from beginning to now is that when something happens in a village, everybody knows about it. Yes. So Charlie would know they had Jack in custody. And he doesn't have trouble with doors or eating soup. So I'm assuming <laughs> he would know if I kill somebody, they're going to know it's not. Yeah. Him. Yeah. If my brother's in custody and somebody dies, they're going to know that he didn't kill them. Yeah. It's a pretty good alibi to be locked up. See, I think maybe, maybe Jack killed the first two and Charlie killed Harriet. Harriet. Why would he kill Harriet? I don't know. (laughs) Why does the woman have a towel on when the alarm gets pulled? Okay. So I'm going to stake my claim here. Okay. And I I will invite people to disagree with me or agree with me. I'm fine with either. Here's what I think happened. And I think it's a result of some scenes getting cut from the episode that creates this confusion. Which is total possibility. But here's what I actually think happened or should have happened in this story if it was written correctly, is that Jack kills the caves because he doesn't want anybody to have the house. Then Jack and then Jack confronts Charlie mm-hmm. and says, I killed them and you're going to take the rap for it. And Charlie has a change of heart and says, you know what? Right. You've been in jail all this time for a crime that I did. I'll go away for your crime. And then he sees Harriet in the house and Charlie's like, whatever, already going away for two, may as well take care of her too to ensure that Jack can keep the house. Now I've made this agreement with him. So he kills Harriet in the same way that Jack killed the caves and then pretends to attack Jack because he knows the police are coming and they'll stop him and then goes to prison. I don't, a mine is slightly different. Okay. Mine is that Jack is driven mad because he's been in prison unfairly mm-hmm. all his life. All he wants to be is with his sweetheart, his uh, square faced sweetheart in his house, in his house. And so when he finds out that that dream is being challenged because Charlie is going to try to sell the house because she tells him, right? Grace writes to, yeah, to tell him that, 
that that's the case. I think he makes a plan to frame his brother. And he frames Charlie. He kills the caves and frames Charlie. And then he kills Harriet. So Jack killed them, all three of them. Yeah. And lets Charlie take the blame for it. Yeah. See, I understand that theory, but I think if they had half a brain between them, they would realize that that wouldn't work because Charlie didn't have a motive. Yeah. Well, the cops didn't realize he did. (laughs) (laughs) So now we've got to turn it to you listeners out there. You guys are so smart and you're just as into Midsummer as we are. This is probably the most problematic plot that we have covered yet. There have been some where there's like kind of like holes in the plot because maybe a scene got cut or something, but this is problematic. And I, I refuse to believe that Barnaby is stupid and arrested the wrong guy. Okay. I think that they pulled one over on him and they fooled him. Okay. But he didn't arrest the wrong guy because he's too dumb to know about the motive. That's what I think. What about, he believes Jack is a good guy. What about this? What if the person who we believe is Charlie? The person staying at the feathers. Mm-hmm. Okay. The person who uh, walks away from Philip. Yes. What if he is actually Jack? It is Jack who walks away from Philip. It's Jack who Philip knows. He doesn't know Charlie. He met Jack at the house. No, but he goes, Jack, Jack, and he keeps walking. Right. So he's supposed to be Charlie. So he's pretending to be Charlie. He's pretending to be Charlie. Charlie finds out about this in London. (laughs) Right. Comes up from London and is just crazy. He's crazy upset. (laughs) And so he wants to foil Jack's plans. And so he starts killing people. So that Jack will get blamed. Yeah. Again. As Charlie. something he did. (laughs) Wow. It's all like Freaky Friday. It's, It's very strange. I'm, I'm super eager to hear what other people think. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm sticking the by only my evidence version. we have that that person is Jack and that other person is Charlie is Grace Woodhall's opinion of the person who's been living in her house. Right. Which could have been Jack anyway. That's it. No fingerprints, no DNA, nothing like an actual objective test. No, which wouldn't work on identical twins anyhow. Nope. Right. They can have different fingerprints, but they're not different enough that no. you can tell usually. So listeners, what do you think? Did Barnaby get fooled? Wait a minute. What if there's a third one? <laughs> They're actually triplets. Charlie, Jack, and Harry. <laughs> so, listeners, what do you think? Do you think that um, Barnaby got tricked? That uh, Jack is the bad guy and tricked Barnaby into thinking Charlie was the killer? Do you think the Madgood brothers are in cahoots with one another and that Charlie takes the fall on Jack's behalf because he feels bad that he's been in prison all this time is grace in on all of it does grace know you know what what do you think help us solve the mystery absolutely best corpse of the episode oh the caves tie caves tie and and if i have to pick one it's carolyn cave yeah they they do great she's got to be dead for longer and the the makeup on their neck is pretty good too yeah yeah 
And then after the episode, we already know that Grace and Jack are going to live in Winyard. They're Grace and some individual who identifies as Jack. Grace and Magwood <laughs> are going to live in the house. Philip's yep. going to keep hanging out and learn a piano. Danny's going to go off and be a jerk somewhere else. Yep. Um, hopefully, Anne has uh, dumped Jerry. Uh, Jerry should be alone with his wife, whoever she is. Yeah, like Jerry Jerry does not come out well in this whole thing. He's, he's irredeemable. I don't no. know how you could. No, the, the assistant in Harriet's... Uh, a state agency probably gets promoted and probably takes over the agency. Or maybe he parten- partners with Miss Beauvoisin. Beauvoisin. Or, or maybe Beauvoisin comes in and takes over. Yeah, they could they could be a franchise of Beauvoisin real estate. Yep. The Fluxes are going to have to be happy with their house as they have it. Yep. And maybe they'll give Jack that heart. Yeah. <laughs> Ew, I don't want it. Anyway, so that's the house in the woods. So let's talk about Jones because this is his first episode. Mm-hmm. And I I wanted to talk about how I love him right away. Do like, you love him Jones, because you know you're going to like him because you've already seen the later episodes and you like him? Or do you like him because it's even in this first appearance? Can you separate those two? I don't know if I can. I love that he has the little recorder. Yes. I looked he for has that. initiative. I looked for that recorder. I couldn't find it. He shows initiative that isn't, I'll beat you up. Right. Which is Scott. He's smart. Yes. He uses smart initiative. Yes. And I love how he, when he's in the cop shop, he goes to where Barnaby is and he's sort of asked to come in mm-hmm. at first. He shows some humility there. Well, because he's not really a member of the CID. No. So that's not his office to just walk in. No. Right. Um, and he's an acting detective constable. Yeah. And he says that when he introduces himself, even when Barnaby's not there. Yeah. Which he doesn't have to do. Nobody nope. would know. Nobody would know. Yep. He yep. just, he's just an all around good guy from the very beginning. And oh. he's eager and honest. So there's another part of Jones that we didn't, I didn't get at first, but now I get, which is he's Welsh. Yes. Because his name is Jones. Everybody knows that's Welsh. Yes. That's like shorthand for Welsh. Yeah. Right. It's total shorthand for Welsh. Yes. And there's references it to it later. Mm-hmm. Like your people. Yeah. <laughs> like, but. He's it, the Welsh expert later. Yeah. If it's Welsh, then they ask Jones about it. Definitely. Um, but, I, you know, he's my favorite DCI. I don't miss Scott. No. I don't. Scott was better than I remembered. Yes. I liked him more, but I don't miss him because Jones is great. Yeah. I Jones and Jones really takes the show through transition because people forget that Jones is with the new Barnaby. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so before he, winters. he takes Barnaby to the end and goes on with the new Barnaby. Yeah, he's the consistent And then thread. he becomes kind of the new guy, yeah. the the old guy right. that introduces Bar- the new Barnaby to Midsummer. But you can't really evaluate Jones completely until you see him with Joyce and Cully. Yes. Because that's the ultimate test. I would agree. <laughs> Do they like Cully not in this episode at all. Oh, darn. No Cully. <laughs> no... I'm just here. I don't have a job. What never am I mind, doing, Cully? Never mind the silly, I'm going to go investigate this house all by myself. <laughs> Joyce, do you not know what show you're in? <laughs> so 
Uh, we're Midsummer Maniacs on the Twitter and the Instagram and the emails. Um, and we post on the Facebook groups and for Midsummer and Acorn and the subreddit. I want to make a challenge here. We have 81 subscribers on our YouTube account. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can get 100. Hey. So not everybody we, listens to podcasts on YouTube, yep, but we you want, know, we want you, we want you to, to try to do this, this, this week to try to recommend this podcast to somebody that, you know, likes Midsummer. Yeah. So just, we're not in it for the money. We no, don't care about reviews and all that stuff, but no. Hey, if, if you can share this with somebody else and it's a, a little Island of, of fun in their lives right now, that would be great. Yeah. Because we do this for fun and enjoyment and that's kind of what we all need right now. Yeah. So, and if Instagram and Twitter don't give you enough characters to, to fully explain your Magwood theory. Yep. Hop on the subreddit. Yep. Absolutely. You can write a novel on subreddit to yes. explain what you think happened I in think, this episode. I think I might start a thread on the subreddit. We will certainly be looking because I am so eager to hear what people think. What happens in this episode? 45 next week. Dead letters. Oh my God. <laughs> We not say that only, every time. We say not like, oh, only the next one. Do we have the sparkly <laughs> ringmaster jacket, which I love. <laughs> not only do we have that, we have the doctor mm-hmm. who is played by I forget his name, but he, you recognize he's from Four Weddings and a Funeral. He's actually an Orson Welles expert. Yes. He's a very well-rounded, intelligent, super cool guy. Simon something. Anyway, yeah. He's in that, but we also have a return. Mm-hmm. A shocking return. And they're weirder and stranger than they were before. And you're like, how are the rainbirds? Wait a minute. They're alive? Yeah. Tom's face. How did they survive? Tom's face is the best. It's the same face the whole audience was making when they yes. first saw the episode. What? what, what? If, he, if you saw this episode when it first aired, please tell us. And what your reaction what was your when reaction you saw them was for the first when time. you saw the Rainbirds for the first time. Because it must have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Maybe I need like a sub podcast where I watch some of these really bad movies and comment on them. It would mean that I would have to find enough that you haven't already seen. Well, that's true. Most of the bad movies I find, you've seen them already. Well, I'd watch them again. Or you saw them in the theater when you were five. (laughs) That's what you do. I'd watch them again. If you're interested in that podcast, that side podcast, I'd do that.